Good morning. When Pastor Mitch asked me to share this morning, I didn't realize it was going to be a communion Sunday. And it's so funny how God works. I don't know why it surprises me, but it still does. Because this morning, I, what I want to share about is feasting at the table of the king and how appropriate that it's on a communion Sunday. And uh, I love communion Sunday. I love coming together as a body and remembering all that Jesus has done for us, that he, his body was broken and his blood was poured out. Um, about a month or so ago, a friend of mine who attends Celebrate Recovery here in the Grand at, at Southside asked me if I would go with her. She's about nine months into recovery from substance abuse, and she wanted some moral support after not having been for a while. And so I said, yeah, I'll go with you. So I, I went with her that evening, and I took my place on the couch beside her, and I began to listen to people share their stories of struggle with addiction and substance abuse and the victories that they've had as they've, as they've drawn closer to Jesus. And I was sitting there, and I was kind of feeling uncomfortable and squirming in my seat. I was probably one of two people in the whole room who did not have a substance abuse problem. And, and that was partly why I was feeling uncomfortable. Like, I don't, I don't know how to, to fit with these people. I, I can't relate. I haven't struggled with these struggles. And I came home that evening and was talking to Ken about it, kind of processing verbally what what I was listening to that evening. And as I was talking, it it hit me with well, the Holy Spirit hit me, and I realized that see these people that I had been sitting with this evening that evening, they know where they have been and they know exactly what they've done. They know how broken and bankrupt they are without Jesus. And I had forgotten that. It was like Pastor Mitch spoke on a couple weeks ago. A stained shirt is a stained shirt. It's not a little stained or a lot stained. It's just stained, right? A broken cup is broken. And we all come to Jesus broken. We all come to Jesus bankrupt. We all come to Jesus stained and in need of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And I needed to be reminded of that that evening, that I am no different than these people who, who on the outside, you, you, know, you can see the evidence of their, their lifestyle that they live. They, you know, they have that kind of a hard, hardened look about them. But I'm no different. I am no different. I need Jesus as much as they do. I'm as desperate for him as they are. And God, in what some would call reckless grace, invites each of us to come to the table. He invites us to come, even though we're broken and even though we're bankrupt, he invites us to come to the table and and feast with him. Um, I think a lot of times we have these deep longings in our heart and we we chase after things to fill the longing in our heart and only jesus can meet it a couple of months ago i i went through a season of intense loneliness 
which is crazy. I have eight kids. I'm, there is plenty of, of interaction with other people going on in my house. I have a husband who really, really loves me. I have a wonderful church family. I know there's so many of you I could call at any time and say, hey, I need prayer. But regardless, there was this deep ache and loneliness inside me, and I just thought, where is this coming from? And it, went, it lasted for a while, and I kind of began to worry and think, you know, what's wrong with me? And as I prayed through it and I cried through it, I realized this is just a place in my life that, or a place in my heart that can only be met in the presence of Jesus, that there's not even a human relationship that can meet this need. It, it's only going to be filled as I draw closer to Jesus, as I feast on his goodness. And I needed to be reminded that I have a place in the heart of God, that he has brought me to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. So I don't have uh, the scripture verses up on the screen like Pastor Mitch usually does, but if you've got your Bible, um, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read the story of David and Mephibosheth. I had to practice that name repeatedly. (laughs) I kept stumbling over it. It's one thing to read it to yourself. It's another thing to say it out loud. A little bit about background here. In 2 Samuel 4, Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle. Jonathan has a son. He's five years old, and his name is Mephibosheth. And when news reaches the people that David and Saul have been killed, Mephibosheth's nurse, uh, in a panic, realizing that, okay, you know, the king and the king's son are dead. Uh, we're all in trouble here. We've got to get out of here. He scoops up, she scoops up Mephibosheth and flees. And in the process of fleeing, she drops him. And it must have been a pretty serious drop because his feet were broken and he was crippled for the rest of his life. So in chapter 9, it's many years later, we don't know how much longer, but Mephibosheth is a grown man. It says that he has a son of his own. So it's been years that have gone by. And, uh, starting, in, uh, starting with verse 1, of chapter 9. It says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth! At your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Now we know that David is a type of Christ. And we can see in this story of David and Mephibosheth Mephibosheth, the beauty of what Christ has done for us. We come, like Mephibosheth, broken. And he invites us to his table. We come in filthy rags. And Jesus, in his mercy and his grace, which is completely undeserved, lifts us out of our state of brokenness. He carries us to his table. He clothes us with his robes of righteousness. And he invites us to sit with him at his table and to feast with him. So there are, there are four things the Lord showed me in this story of what it means to sit at the table of the king. And certainly it's not an exhaustive list. This is just what God gave me, and maybe he'll show you more. But the first one is that at the table of the king, there is abundance. This means there is always enough. Always enough. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That, he said all three times in that short little verse. All things at all times, having all that you need so that you can abound in every good work. And in Psalm 23, it talks about how our cup overflows. And it's my understanding that in ancient times, um, when you had a, held a banquet or a feast, that it was a sign of your wealth. As you poured the wine into the cups for your guests, you would allow it to overflow. And, and it, was, it looks wasteful. But what it was was a sign that I have plenty It doesn't matter if it's overflowing because there's so much more from where this came from. And this is, our cup overflows. God pours it out in abundance. It's overflowing. He says, I've got plenty more where this came from. And I'm not talking just financial provision here, although that's part of it. I don't know what you may be lacking in this morning. It could be, you need grace for a certain relationship in your life. It could be 
a job situation. It could, I mean, it could be many, many things, but whatever you're lacking, wherever you're lacking, there is abundance. God is not stingy. He's not greedy. He is an abundant God who delights in giving freely to his children. And we lack nothing. So at the table of the king, there is abundance. And number two, at the table of the king, there is protection and covering. Again, ancient Middle Eastern customs dictated that when you invited a guest into your home, you assumed responsibility for their welfare and their safety. It was your duty as the host to make sure that your guest under your roof was protected from any outside invasion or, you know, enemy. So to accept a person as a guest at one's table was to say, I've got you covered totally. You You are safe here. And how much more are we sheltered and protected at the, at the table of King Jesus? Psalm 23.5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And as I thought about that, I thought it's, it's kind of mind-boggling that, that the king would set this table in the presence of our enemies and say, I want you to come and sit down and feast with me. And we're going, wait a second, you don't get it. My life's falling apart. The, the enemy's against me. All these things are going wrong. And he's saying, come sit. Come sit. Feast with me. I uh, read this book called The Insanity of God. And if you have not read it, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, for, to me, it's, it's a must-read. And in this book, there's a story, and it's a true story, of a man named Dmitri. And Dmitri is, is Russian, and he, um, he's still alive today, but he was in Russia during the communist rule. And he was just a simple factory worker, he was a nobody, no Bible, you know, college, and his wife was a school teacher. They had two sons, and they lived in a small village in Russia. Dmitri began teaching his two young sons stories from the Bible, and apparently in this village, the houses were pretty close together, so you could hear what's going on in your neighbor's house, and the neighbors would hear Dmitri teaching his sons stories from the Bible, and it piqued their curiosity. So a few at a time started showing up at his door and said, well, we want to hear these stories too. Now, again, this is in communist Russia where it's, it was illegal to preach the gospel. And before Dmitri knew it, he had 75 people from the village meeting in his home. And his response to all this was, I, I, who am I? I'm just, I'm just a factory worker. And here he's accidentally started a church in his home. Well, the authorities were alerted, and they, they came knocking on his door one evening, and they broke up the church and the, the service, and um, they said, you've got to stop. No more, or we're going to arrest you. And Dimitri said, I can't do that. 
I, I have to obey Jesus. And so he continued to just teach the villagers from the word of God. And his wife lost her job. And then before he knew it, he was arrested. And he was sentenced to 17 years in prison. While he was in prison, he was tortured and he was beaten and uh, mocked. And they did, you know, the mind games with him, trying to get him to relent. And he developed a couple habits that sustained him during his time there. But one thing that he did, every single morning, he would get up and he would face east as you know because the sun was coming up and he would lift his hands in worship and he would pour out what he called his heart song to Jesus every single morning for 17 years and the other prisoners would mock him they would throw their excrement at him and the guards would come and beat him day after day after day but day after day after day he would stand and he would face the east, and he would pour out his heart song to Jesus. So the guards tried to get him to sign a confession that he was, you know, subversive to the government, and he said, I, I can't sign that. I can't, I can't deny my faith. I have, you know, so he refused, and they said, well, execution awaits you. So the day of his execution, they dragged him out of his cell, and as they walked him down the corridor, all the prisoners in that prison who had previously mocked him and taunted him stood by their beds and they lifted their hands in worship like Dimitri did every morning. And they sang the heart song that they heard Dimitri sing every morning. And when that happened, the guards became terrified <laughs> And they stopped him, and they said, Who are you? And he said, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. And they took their hands off of him, and he said it again, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. And at that point, they, they, they stopped the execution. He went back to his cell, and shortly after, he was released. What, one of the things I love about this story is that that is a perfect example of what it means to feast at the table of the king in the presence of your enemy. Every morning, Dimitri would meet Jesus, and he would feast with Jesus in the presence of his physical enemies as well as the spiritual ones, the ones in the heavenlies that were trying to destroy his life. So whatever your circumstances are, whatever my circumstances are, we can sit at the table of the king, even in the presence of our enemy, even with circumstances that just threaten to, to where we want to lose hope and we want to give up. As we sit with Jesus and we feast on his goodness, there is, there is covering and there is shelter and there is protection. It doesn't mean bad things aren't going to come. It doesn't mean challenges aren't going to come. It doesn't mean trying times aren't going to come. But what it means is that uh, in the middle of that, we can, we can sit with Jesus, we can feast with him, and, and be filled to overflowing, even, even though 
So at the table of the king, there is covering and protection. Number three, at the table of the king, there is restoration. Mephibosheth had lost everything when Saul and Jonathan died that day in battle. Not only did he become a cripple, he lost his inheritance, he lost his title, he lost his position, and I'm thinking he probably lost a a sense of dignity too. I was a grandson of the king, and I had to flee for my life, and now I'm a cripple, I have nothing left, there is nothing. He's lost everything. And David comes and says, hey, I want to restore to you all that was lost, all that belonged to your grandfather Saul, I'm giving back to you now. And again, David's a type of Christ, right? So what does Jesus do? He restores to us all that has been lost. Now, Mephibosheth didn't lose all of this due to his own shortcoming or sin. It was taken from him. He was a little boy. He had no no say in the circumstances in his life. And sometimes that happens, right? I mean, we just, it's beyond our control. And we, things are taken and, and, and things are lost in our lives. But sometimes we lose things due to our own choices and our own sin. And either way, when we come to the table of the king and we come and allow him to um, renew us and restore us, those things that have been lost are restored. So maybe you've been ripped off by circumstances beyond your control. Or maybe like the prodigal son, you took your inheritance and you squandered it. That was your choice. Either way, the father wants to restore to you what's been, what's been lost. So at the table of the king, there is restoration. Number four, at the table of the king, there is belonging, there is acceptance, and there is honor bestowed on us. In verse 11 of 2 Samuel 9 there, it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. To have a seat at the king's table, that in and of itself is an incredible honor. But then to be elevated to a position of sonship, that's, that's just the ultimate. That is the ultimate honor. Mephibosheth was the grandson of David's enemy. How many times did Saul try to kill David? Multiple times. Yet David said, you belong here. He said, you're not alone. I will be your family. No matter what your family history, no matter what's gone on in the past, you are accepted and you're accepted as a son. And again, like the story of the prodigal son, what does the father do upon the return? What does he do? So here's a young man who has taken his inheritance and and just wasted it on sinful, destructive life. It's gone. And he comes home. He's even been, he'd even been with the pigs. He had to feed the pigs, which, you know, pigs are considered unclean, right? So he had, he had gone to the lowest that he could go. 
And he comes home, and what does the father do to his son who is just a wreck? He says, kill the fatted calf. We're having a party tonight. He puts on a robe of right, a new robe on him. He puts the family ring on him. What does the ring represent? It represents authority. So the father, in, in an instant, upon the repentance of his son, restores the son's dignity. He restores him to his rightful place. He says, I forgive you, and I put you back in your place of honor. I put you back in your place of, of, of dignity in this family and in the community. It's reckless. It doesn't make sense. It is. Why would he do that for us? It is insane, yes. If you have ever wondered or questioned if you belong or if you're accepted, God has answered that question. You belong. You have a place at the table of the king. And when you come to the table and and you come through Jesus, through the son, you are forgiven, you are restored, you are accepted. What's been lost is being restored. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So not only are we given the honor of coming to the table of the Lord and communing with him, he takes it even further. And he said, since you've been adopted and you're now my son, you also get to be a co-inheritor with Christ. And as I meditated on that scripture, it, it just blew me away. I thought, okay, so here's Jesus, who's perfect in holiness, who has obeyed the Father perfectly. He's completely humble, completely holy, And then here's us over here. We come with our dirty rags and our broken, crippled feet and all of our sin and everything. And he, the father, cleans us up and he says, the inheritance that I gave my son Jesus, well, you get to share it with him. It doesn't make sense. I know my kids, if one of them has worked hard to earn something, they're not too keen on having to share it with one of their siblings. They're not. But Jesus says, I'll share it with you. How humble is that? How humble is that? That Jesus would share his inheritance that he deserves. It's totally, it it, it just blows my mind. How good is he? So to be welcomed at the table of the king is to become a son and a co-heir with Christ. And what incredible humility that Jesus would share his inheritance with us. And a lot of us, 
now I should probably say all of us, at some point, we have run after other things in an attempt to, f- to fulfill the longings that only Jesus can meet. And some of you today are still chasing after other things. I mean, who knows what it might be? I, you know, I don't know. Maybe, or maybe you haven't even met Jesus yet. Maybe you're still broken and bankrupt, waiting to be carried to the table. You're invited to the table of the Lord today to be healed, to be made righteous in Christ Jesus, to know him and be known by him, as a son or a daughter. And, or maybe you've known the Lord for a long time, but, but you've allowed yourself to be drawn to other things. And Jesus is saying this morning, come sit at my table. I want to feast with you. I want to fellowship with you. Come. So the Lord invites you today, and we're going we're gonna to take communion And as we take communion, I want you to remember remember the broken body and the poured out blood. Yes. But remember that at the table there is abundance. And at the table there is protection. And at the table there is healing. And at the table there is restoration. And if you have not met Jesus yet then I invite you to come today. The prayer team is going to come up after we take communion, and we would love to pray with you. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you, in your grace and your mercy, you have taken us out of our brokenness, you have taken us out of our shame, and you have elevated us to a place of honor. You have restored our dignity. You have healed our our broken hearts. We thank you that you invite us to come to the table and to feast on your goodness, that to taste and to see that you are good. And we thank you that in you there is enough. There is always enough. There is more than enough. Thank you, Lord. We we just say thank you. We are filled with gratitude this morning. We are filled with thankfulness this morning. How can we say thank you enough for all that you have done? Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your humility. Thank you for your willingness to share with us your inheritance. We don't deserve it, but we say thank you. Thank you that even today you are going to restore to people what has been lost, what the enemy has stolen, or what they themselves have squandered. You are restoring. You are restoring marriages. You are restoring children back to their families. You are restoring finances. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As you're ready, come and take communion.